This is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast. This is VP. We are a solutions-based podcast, diving into the world of contrarian investing and alternative finance. You can find us hosted on the No Nonsense Forex YouTube channel, nononsenseforex.com, and podcast players everywhere. Episode 136 is brought to us by Bybit. If you think the price of Bitcoin is going to go up a lot this year, you're probably going to want to be on board for this as a trader and take advantage of it all the way up. This is the best way to actually earn Bitcoin. And believe me, none of us think we have enough of it. And if you're going to do this, you might as well do this on Bybit. You can take your no-nonsense Forex algorithm, put it on MT4, and trade directly from it if you want. You have a highly liquid exchange that we're pretty sure Gary Gensler is not going to mess with. And you get bonuses for signing up through my link. Where is that? Well, go down into the show notes. Click the link down there for the blog. The blog is going to give you all the relevant information you need. And at the bottom of that blog is my affiliate link. Click it. Get signed up. Get deposited. Get trading. And stack those sats in the meantime. Because as we all know with Bybit, membership has its rewards. It is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast. And we are concluding the 2024 predictions series with energy. And there is so much to go over here. I'm actually going to do my best not to get too deep into the weeds on a lot of these things. Because energy, to me, just overall, might be more exciting and compelling than crypto is. As hard as that is to believe, as often as we talk about crypto here on the show. Because like I said before, energy is everything. You can't do anything without it. And wars are fought over it, for good reason, too. It's a dirty reason, but it's a real reason, and we'll talk about that later in the show. You know, yes, wars are fought over legalization of crypto, but those wars pale in comparison to what people will do and the lengths people will go to to secure energy in their part of the world. And unlike something speculative like, um, let's say, like AI coins in crypto, you can get the same amount of upside in something like energy but you know at some point the world is going to need it and have to depend on it. So we here at the podcast like to set ourselves up for this. It's like John Polony says, we're creating situations to where heads we win and tails we win more. And energy is the one sector where you can do this better than anywhere else. Now, it's a little frustrating because we don't always know the timeline. We actually never know the timelines. But to me, there are more inevitabilities here than there are anywhere else combined. So if you are not invested in the energy sector, I think you need to be. Now let's go over all of the energy sectors we discuss here on the podcast, and I will make feeble attempts to predict where the price is going to go for the year 2024. Keep in mind, we are measuring from January 1st, 2024 to December 31st, 2024. And let's go ahead and do what we don't often do on this show and start with copper. I think copper is extremely compelling just on its own, but especially for 2024. Now, unfortunately, it's going to be very hard to predict for this year as well. Uh, but I will say that all of my geopolitical people that I follow were pretty much dead on when it comes to things like what's going on in China right now and these little skirmishes and wars building up all over the world. Now, when it comes to these military conflicts, if they should get bigger or if we see more of them, uh, you can expect the price of copper to go up because copper is a required element in almost every single military machine out there. 
Now, what's going on right now is the people who are fighting are using the military machines they have on hand currently. But if production here needs to escalate, and it's probably going to, let's be honest, copper is going to play a big role. Now, in China, it's weird because in 2023, they still did a lot of building. And so a lot of those numbers are up. And what goes on in China really does affect the price of copper. So we should always be looking at this. Now, but a couple things happen. One, that China Restarts episode, I'm telling you, it's these smaller episodes that don't get a ton of views that end up being some of the most important episodes going forward. Because they were putting $1 trillion back into their economy and their infrastructure to attempt to rebuild. I said in that episode, don't believe the hype. I don't think it's really going to happen the way people think it is. I mean, we saw copper really starting to get a bid back then. And it turned out in that particular case, I was right. Um, it was all a big to do about nothing. Now, interesting enough, get this, contrarians. What I heard later, I don't know if this is true, but the Chinese government took that one trillion and did not put it back into their own country's infrastructure. They actually took almost all of it and invested it into the U.S. stock market. How dirty is that? But it would explain a couple things. It would explain, you know, why our stock market just kept going up. And it also just goes to show that no matter who you are in China, if you have any means at all when it comes to money, when you wake up in the morning, your first and only objective is to find a way to get that money out of China. And we're finally seeing all these dominoes fall as well. So, you know, when economies go down, you don't just keep building. Nobody does that. Not even crazy-ass China. Plus, if you remember, one of the things that China has always done historically really well is they look ahead. They stockpile things in advance, and they have stockpiled a lot of copper over the past 10 years. Have they used it all? We don't know. Maybe not. But with China's economy finally starting to tap out and say, okay, you know, this bullshit story we've been telling you is finally coming to an end. I find this situation to be a little too dominant, and I don't really see too many situations where the price of copper goes up here. You have to remember, too, the entire European Union is deindustrializing as well. And I know, and we, we should all know this by now, the supply in copper has done nothing but continue to go down to where it's going to completely crater. It's like a, it's a really bad situation on the supply side. Uh, but until that narrative really comes to the forefront, and that narrative is not going to come to the forefront unless demand really picks up somewhere, then I think we may have one more year to accumulate copper positions before the proverbial poop really hits the proverbial fan and these things slingshot to the upside. Now, if I'm wrong on this, well, here's how I choose to play it, and here's how I've always chosen to play it. I definitely have copper stock exposure now. Because if I'm wrong, this is the one upside event I do not want to miss, even over things like uranium and silver. But it kind of goes with my whole reason why I don't invest in things right now, like iron ore, steel, lead, zinc, things like that. Because if you see a recession coming, and it's already here in half the world, you know nobody's going to be building anything. So my prediction is copper down. Um, I'm happy holding the positions I hold. And I will be looking to accumulate more as price drops. 
Uh, but there are definitely two sides to this story. You have military machines, you have green technology, you have EV cars. You know, all those things are still being built too, and they need lots of copper. But I think having China and the EU already in recession and slowly deindustrializing is just too much of a load to bear for the overall price. So where should we go next? Well, let's keep it geopolitical, and let's go to oil. And if you've ever wondered why we go to these great lengths to preserve our oil supplies in the West at the expense of other countries, it pretty much goes like this. It all comes down to human interest. Now, we know, you know what are the two biggest desires of a politician? To make the world a better place? LOL. No. It is to, one, gain power, and two, stay in power. Because being a high-ranking politician is a really good gig. You can make a ton of money, not to mention all the power that goes with it. And chances are when you were younger, you didn't have a lot of power in your life, and now you're overcompensating. And if you lose this power, you go back to being a nobody. And that's some real motivation right there. Now, considering the fact that there's only so much energy to go around, considering the fact that energy is life, the reason why rich countries stay rich and poor countries stay poor is because of energy. It's, it's, there's other reasons, but that's the main reason. Because if we were to do the right thing in the West and divide the finite amount of energy more equally amongst poorer countries, then that would be less energy for Western countries, which means the lifestyle in those countries would go down a lot, and the chances of you staying in power would be slim to none. So there you go. Next time your four-year-old asks you why certain countries are poor, you can tell them that explanation right there. And you can chill out in the comments section. There's other reasons why countries are rich and countries are poor. But I'm telling you, that's the main one. So in terms of oil, on the good side, on the positive side, production is getting closer to pre-pandemic levels, which is good. That doesn't mean we won't be paying for all the lack of production that we had in the past. We certainly will be. We certainly are. And in the United States, the good news there is that for the last probably, I don't know, five years or so, U.S. oil consumption has pretty much flatlined. It has not gone up. Now, the main reason for that is we use a lot of natural gas as well, along with other sources. And the bad news is it's gone up pretty much everywhere else. But in the future, will it? Based on everything I just said in the copper portion, with the EU and China deindustrializing, what effect is that going to have on oil? It's hard to say. To me, that part is a little harder to predict than copper would be, for example. And even if, with all these factors factored in, you know, the energy cliff episode that we had this year, I feel like that could really still be on the table for all the reasons we mentioned back in that episode. That could, could end up being another one of those episodes that we may end up referencing here over and over again. But as far as the year 2024 goes, I want to go back to my macro predictions episode where I talked about the election in the United States playing a really big part in a lot of different things. And I think oil is going to be one of them. We talked about this back in the midterms. Democrats were able to keep the price of gasoline down. And because most Americans are slow and simple, that was good enough for them. And they kept them happy long enough to do really well in the midterms and prevent that red wave from happening. 
And now, as we've seen since, the Democrats will do just about anything to stay in power. Just like I said before, that is all politicians care about. And when you know that, a lot of other things start to make a lot more sense. But again, in terms of oil, I I just don't see a situation where oil gets out of control high in 2024. They're just not going to allow it. Barring anything completely out of the ordinary, I'm actually going to say oil is going to be higher, believe it or not, than the price on January 1st, but only by a little and only because the election should be over in early November. But again, if it goes up, I don't think it's going to go up by much. To me, this is not the place I want to be investing right now. I would much prefer to be trading oil instead. Next up, it's the one some of you have been waiting for, and that is natural gas. And come on, contrarians, how fun would it really be if every single one of our predictions on this show did really well? Where is your sense of adventure? So if you don't know, if you're kind of new to the show, I hold the ETF, ticker symbol UNG, which is the big natural gas ETF in the United States. I felt pretty strongly about it. I even DCA'd down, and I currently have nothing to show for it, except for a loss. Historically, natural gas has done nothing but go up after it goes down, but there have been some changes recently. And before I get into that, I just want to say something to everybody, and this, this goes for anything we talk about on the show. There have been a handful of people, a, a solid handful of people asking me, so what's going on with UNG? What's going on with natural gas? And my response may make me sound like a bad person here, but my response to you is, you need to figure these things out for yourself. You must know what you own, inside and out. And when you ask questions like this, it makes me think that you don't really have a good grip on any of this. At least not like you should. You shouldn't have to ask me. You should know more about the position you hold than I do. I am not, and I will never give anybody an on-demand analysis of any of the positions we hold here, good or bad. That is not my job. My job is to point some of these things out, tell you why I like them, and then you take it from there all the way to the end, wherever that end is. Now, I've decided to tell people every move I make in crypto, and I've been pretty good about telling people a lot of the moves I make in the energy sector, too, and precious metals, to a lesser degree. But that's all you're getting. Now, I know this is hard to understand for people if you're not in my position and you haven't been doing this for a while, but if I were to stop what I'm doing and give an on-demand analysis every time somebody asked for it, then other people are going to see that, and they're going to ask for things like that all the time. And I'm not going to do that at least not for free. Even if you had a paid service, they're not going to do that. Uh, But people do this quite a bit on social media, on positions that are down and positions that are up. And I know it sounds like I'm being a prick, but um, my answer to that is I will answer that question when it's time. Uh, Because it's so much easier because now I'm answering everybody's question at once. I'm giving a lot of research and time and my own risk on this podcast to you for free. And so if that's not good enough and you need more than that, that's fine. I'll give it to you, but you're going to be paying for it. You're going to be paying a lot for it. I take Litecoin. So when it comes to natural gas, let's go ahead and do that now. So when it comes to our investments here, we got unlucky in many different ways, kind of all at the same time. You know, we had a record high winter in Europe and we ended up with a glut of natural gas on top of that. And then other countries started figuring out just how important this is, 
and we had a lot more natural gas start coming online from those countries as well. Added to the fact that Europe is still getting their gas from Russia, even though they agreed they weren't going to do that. Again, this just goes to show how important energy is. They would rather dishonor their own promises to NATO than they would go with less energy for a year. And so the unpredictability of the European winter and the whole Russian pipelines getting shut down were two things uh, natural gas investors were kind of relying on last year. Now, as I said in that episode before, the one we really, really focused in on, natural gas, these things will always go up over time. The question now is, with this glut, what will 2024 look like? I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the news lately, but the Biden administration just came out and said that they are suspending exports of natural gas from the United States to Europe. Now, I don't know why. And I haven't quite parsed things out enough to really understand what the ramifications of this are even going to be. But let's just say overall, things are getting really interesting in the energy sector. And at least for the time being, Europe is not going to be able to rely on that nice little backup they had with natural gas from the United States. We sent a lot over there last year. Maybe this has something to do with Europe still getting their natural gas from Russia. I don't know. Uh, But as far as what I'm going to do in 2024, because this situation just got even more unpredictable, and I want you to remember too, and everybody should know this when they purchase ETFs, there is a measure of time decay with these things, not just from the fee standpoint either, and especially when you're dealing with commodities ETFs. It's not like, holy shit, the world's going to end type time decay, but it is there. So you don't want to hold these things forever if they're not benefiting you in some way. So what I'm looking to do is I'm going to be holding on to my UNG position, and I'm hopefully looking to break even. My prediction is that the cost of natural gas or the price of natural gas is going to go higher, simply because it probably can't go much lower. And I'll be looking to exit my position as close to a break even as I can. If I can't, that's fine. I'll have something to write off for for tax loss harvesting season. But this would be a really weird L to take. And hopefully I won't have to, but that's just the way contrarian investing goes sometimes. So natural gas up for 2024, but I'm no longer interested in riding my position to these extreme upsides based on what we've seen so far. So over to some greener pastures here, let's talk about uranium. This one is just continues to be really hard to figure out, even though we all know long term, it's about as close to an inevitability as we're ever going to get. And the spot price numbers reflect that. Now, we've been talking about uranium here, at least on my channel, when the spot price was all the way down to $20. Uh, During the lifespan of this podcast here, it's been sitting mostly at $50, and recently it went above $100. Now, remember, the 60 to 80 range is that magic range where a lot of these mines are going to start getting back online. Cameco was really starting to do that, and that's a big one. I always said, you know, you got to know what Cameco is doing if you're an investor in this space. Uh, But even though the spot price went up the way it did, and then recently we just had a big pullback, the stocks themselves didn't really react that much. I mean, maybe if you're playing around in like the super juniors, uh, but I don't play there, so I don't really know what's going on. I do own one junior, but it's, it's not that deep of a junior. It's pretty much moved with everything else, and everything else has not moved the way you would expect when you see 
the spot price of uranium double. I mean, contrarians, what would happen to the price of gold mining stocks if the price of spot gold went from 2000 to 4000 in a month? The correct answer is they would probably still disappoint. Yeah, I know that, but they would still go up a lot. I think from here, when it comes to uranium mining stocks, narrative is going to be a key driver. We have done really well with our uranium stocks going up back in 2020, but that was mostly the smart money getting in. Now we have to wait for everybody else to get in, and we know why they get in. It's all narrative-driven at this point. It's unfortunate. It's no longer A plus B equals C. That's how it should be, but it's not. It's narrative-driven. So, prediction-wise, I am going to say, let's not do the price of spot uranium. Let's, uh, let's take our favorite uranium ETF, ticker symbol URNM. I am going to say that the price of that is going to be higher at the end of 2024 than it was at the very beginning. Because if the spot price can still remain above that 60 to 80 range or right in it, that can only spell good things for the industry. Keep in mind, we haven't been here for a very long time. It needs to sink in. And I think it's going to do that in 2024. And if this energy cliff really starts to take shape, maybe not, not so much as a narrative because you don't want to spook people out, but for the people who know, the people in the industry, the world leaders and things like that, they start to see what's going on with oil and gas and things like that. You know, they're going to figure it out. You know, luckily, as far as narrative goes, the whole you know, Three Mile Island, Fukushima, goofy shit narrative as far as uranium goes has pretty much gone away. The Greens thought wind and solar was going to be the thing that took us into the next millennium. It's not, at least not yet. And by far the most workable and by far the most green energy on the table, as you and I sit here today, is uranium. Oh, on top of that, because Adamprom, which is actually one of the companies in URNM, they are the largest uranium producer in the world in Kazakhstan, has had a lot of internal turmoil in the past few years. Apart from having to deal with a more desperate Russia, so while I'm pretty sure that company is going to be fine, if they're producing less uranium than they were before because of some of these problems, the remainder is going to have to be made up somewhere. And this could become a whole other story in itself. Okay, so let's wrap things up with one final sector. Uh, Does anybody know what that energy sector might be? We just talked about it. It's going to be renewables. I don't hate renewable energy at all. I hate the ESG narrative to where they're forcing people to use it because the elites have these scientists, these bought and paid for scientists, that said the whole world's going to end and not one person stopped to question it. Therefore, we have to kill off a bunch of cows, implement a social credit score for how much energy we use, all this kind of nonsense that thankfully may still happen but is losing a lot of steam as the elites realize just how wrong and just how unpopular they have become. You know, the whole theme at Davos from Klaus Schwab is how can we get our trust back? Spoiler alert, it's not going to happen. Nobody likes you, nobody trusts you. And you did exactly what we said you were going to do. Take something nice and warm and fluffy as solving climate change, stuff it into a hammer, and beat us over the head with it. Because at the end of the day, you don't care about any of this shit. You don't care about the environment. You don't care about income inequality. 
You just use these things as romantic talking points. Weaponize them and use them to maintain control over everybody else. Not cool. But renewable energy is cool. You know why? Because there will come a time where we really, really need it. Especially, again, back to this energy cliff thing. If you believe that this could be even a remote chance of happening, you're going to really wish we came up with other alternative forms of energy. And as far as predictions go, I don't even know how to measure this. A lot of the ETFs out there are very ESG focused, which means I don't think they're a very good barometer. And I would expect the Elise to keep pushing this narrative. But as the entire world really starts to retrace and deindustrialize and prepare themselves for what might be a really rough span of maybe two, three years, possibly more, I can't be too bullish on the future of things like solar and wind. I feel like those are things you focus on when there's really nothing else to focus on, when everything in the world is going really well, like it was toward the end of the 2010s. When a lot of places in the world, especially developed places, start to get poorer and have to scale back and the lights don't always go on, nobody's going to really care about being green. That is a very first world luxury problem. It's exactly why third world countries have never given a shit about it. It's why developing countries have never given a shit about it. It is a first world luxury problem. And that narrative only flies when things are going really well. So I can't even really give a prediction. I just wanted to add this since we're talking about energy because I think it's really important. I am really rooting for the improvement and development and advancement of things like solar and wind, but my money won't be going there anytime soon. Contrarians, energy is not only everything, it can be something that really takes us or let's say the lack thereof or the lessening of can take us to a really, really dark place in the next few years. And something like that could be really ugly. And if it is, we are going to need to protect ourselves. It's not that energy is going to completely go away, but it could get a lot more expensive down the road. It already has. And if we feel like something like this is probably an inevitability, the best we can do to protect ourselves is to invest wisely in it. Even if you're too early, which we often are, because given the choice when it comes to something like energy, would you rather be crazy or would you rather be early?